The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. Thank you, guys. Good to see everybody today. Hope you're having a great Thanksgiving weekend. And uh, those of you who were coerced uh, to come here with family members, welcome. Uh, glad that you're here. We accept all people. That's how I got in. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah, this is great. Great Thanksgiving weekend. And uh, I'm so glad that we get to be together here and so much to be thankful for. And I um, appreciate Tom putting that song together for me. Uh, and, um, you know, it's a song that I wrote um, a while ago when I was first getting into this teaching and I was learning about uh, um, Emerson, Ralph Waldo Emerson, who was kind of the foundation that this whole teaching is built upon. And um, one of the things that he said, he had a he had an essay called Spiritual Laws, which was one of his most famous essays, where he just kind of laid out, in his opinion, kind of how the whole world worked. And a lot of it had to do with just our connection with spirit. <clears throat> one of the things he said was, uh, let us get our bloated nothingness out of the path of the divine circuits. Let us unlearn our wisdom of the world. Let us lie low in the Lord's power and learn that truth alone makes rich and great. And that just had such a great meaning for me. Let us get our bloated nothingness out of the path of the divine circuits. I couldn't really find anything that rhymed with bloated nothingness, so uh, <clears throat> I just had to. I just had to work around it. But uh, uh, but I love the concept of the divine circuits. The concept of the divine circuits that each of us, each of us is connected with something so big and so powerful and so loving. It's beyond our wildest dreams. And yet it's the very essence of who we are. What Emerson was talking about was allow that to move through us. So it's a big part of our teaching to allow that spirit that's alive in us to to move through us, to have its way with us and to bring us into the world. So what I want to talk about today is uh, how we can do that. My, uh, my talk title this morning is Loving What Is. Loving What Is. We're always working on, we've got to do something different. We've got to, uh, we've got to make things work in a different way. So uh, today we're going we're gonna to focus on loving what is, bring a tighter connection to ourselves in that spiritual life that is seeking to express itself through us. You guys up for that? Yes. All right, cool. This is the right group then. So... Uh, <clears throat> So I've been working a lot lately with a book um, called Loving What Is. It was written by a lady called Byron Katie. And I worked with this book before, and it jumped off the shelf at me, so I'm like, all right. So uh, dug back into it. And it's a great, it's a great book. And um, one of the things that she says in there is uh, that we need to stop arguing with reality. Stop arguing with reality. And... Uh, Wow, it's a great thing, and this can be a uh, tough thing to look at, but what she's really talking about is, are, are there ideas that we're holding on to, concepts that we're holding on to, old resentments, old grudges that we're holding on to, that are really in the path of the divine circuits, that are keeping us from feeling that connection with spirit that is alive for us, that is available to us? And are we willing to look at those? She has a process called the work where she works with people one-on-one and has them write down 
the things that are really bugging them, their resentments, what brought them, what brought them there that day to her workshop to get on something. And it's, <clears throat> you know, it's, my life would be so much better if this person that I'm with was different. Or if I just had more of this, my life would be better. Or if this hadn't happened to me, my life would be better. Or if the world wasn't so bad, how can I be happy when the world is so bad? And what she gets people to do is to examine those thoughts, to go through this process. And the first thing, question she asks is, is it true? Because a lot of times, just because we think something, we think it's true. Not you guys, but some of the people that you know, <clears throat> this happens too. So, and the next question is, can you absolutely know that it's true? It usually causes us to go, well, maybe not. But how do you react? What happens when you believe that thought? And most importantly, who would you be without that thought? Who would you be without that thought? And then she goes through a process of turning those thoughts around. She works with some people who are up against some very difficult things that have happened to them in the past and they're still holding on to them. But what she brings to the to these questions is, it's our attachments to those thoughts that are making us suffer now, not those things that happened in the past. Can we bring ourselves into the reality of what's happening now and stop arguing with reality? One of the things that she said that I love is, when I argue with reality, I lose, but only 100% of the time. (laughs) And yet we keep doing it. You know, we keep doing it. We keep arguing with reality. We keep placing ourselves, our stories. We place our stories in the path of the divine circuits. So her first thing is to stop arguing with reality and you're either believing your thoughts or questioning them. There's no other choice. So it's really helped me going back into this book, going back into this teaching, going back into these ideas of like, whoa, am I attached to some thought here? In my counseling, when I'm talking with people, I can see sometimes they're just attached to a certain thought because of something that's happened to them in the past or something that's going on now, and it would be different. Life would be different if these other people would change or this other thing would change. Is that true? We've got to look at those things. You know, I get the uh, opportunity here to teach our... uh, Beyond Limits class, which is our first science of mind class. And I love being in there with uh, people that are digging in and doing their work. And at the end of one of the units, there's this quote from Byron Katie from her book, Loving What Is. And it always makes me smile or laugh out loud every time. And I think it's the inspiration for me doing this talk today. So I want you to listen to this. Life is simple. Everything happens for you. Everything happens at exactly the right moment neither too soon nor too late. You don't have to like it. It's just easier if you do. (laughs) Isn't that a great thought? Life is simple. Everything happens for you. Everything happens at exactly the right moment, neither too soon nor too late. You don't have to like it. It's just easier if you do. I think that's a great approach to stop ourselves from arguing with reality. And to bring ourselves into the present moment and to deal with the present moment and to realize that it's unfolding exactly as it should be or it wouldn't be unfolding that way. 
You know, we're in a time of uh, great change here in our community with uh, Dr. Roger announcing his retirement. And it's really rare that somebody plans an ending like this and is so conscious about doing it. Usually, we kind of blow stuff up to get out the door, don't we? <clears throat> you, know, you know who I'm talking to. The person sitting next to you. And it's... Uh, but we blow stuff up, you know, because it's, it's better to be mad than to be sad. So we're, you know... Uh, and Dr. Roger has given us an incredible gift by doing this so consciously. Not only about what he's doing in, in the community, but about giving us the opportunity to look at our stuff. And can we do things more consciously? And can we see the gift that is available in the present moment that we're in right now? You know, it reminded me of... Uh, uh, of the time back when Dr. Roger left to go to California. I had just started coming here. Stephanie and I were here, uh, and our kids were both toddlers, and I'd started working in the youth ministry, volunteering on Sunday mornings, and uh, just getting into it. It, it. You know, we were just starting to move into it, and I remember being in the back of the sanctuary over in the vote building uh, when Dr. Roger announced that he and Erica and the boys were moving to California, and just man, the feeling in the room, the people were just crushed and they were so bummed out and everything. And I remember standing in the back and I had been, I had been aware that the, uh, the person who was doing like the junior church coordinator thing uh, was going to be leaving. And I expressed an interest in maybe taking on that job, um, just a part-time job, mainly on Sunday mornings. And uh, I'm attracted to low-paying jobs for some reason. And, and so... <laughs> I thought, wow, that's perfect for me. Um, and so, so, uh, so after Dr. Roger made his announcement, the next morning, that Monday morning, I called the office and said, can I talk to the minister who's in charge of the youth ministry? And I knew who she was. And, and I said, uh, are you going to hire me to do that job or aren't you? And she said, well, okay, yeah, I guess if, if you want it. And so... I really dug in with this, and I had no idea where it was going, this whole youth ministry thing. I had no idea where it was going. We didn't have much going then, but since we had a couple of kids and there were some other families around us that really wanted to get more stuff going, we just dug in, and we started building things and starting camps, and um, we didn't know what we were doing, but it didn't really matter. We had the, uh, we had the heart for it, and we had people behind us. And so when Dr. Roger came back four years later, he really got behind what we're doing here. And it's now blossomed into this incredible thing at exactly the right moment, at exactly the right time. You know, and could have looked at it that it was a really bad thing that he was leaving, or could have looked at it, this is an opportunity for us to step up. And I think we're in that same place now. This is an opportunity for us to step up and to listen to what God has in mind for this community. Because it's such an amazing community that we have here. And it's going to thrive. And it's going to get stronger. And it's going to grow. And the reason is because of us. Because of what we bring to the party here. And I think one of the things that we need to do is to cultivate a God-listening heart. Cultivate a God-listening heart. You know, a lot of times we're listening to our thoughts and our thoughts are running through us all the time. And... It's like we're having this conversation with ourselves, and it's not necessarily a good conversation, 
but we're beating ourselves up about things or reliving things from the past or our fears from the future. And we need to tune in to God more. Paramahansa Yogananda said that God's radio is always on. We're just not necessarily tuned into that frequency. If we're going to develop a God-listening heart, we need to tune into that frequency. And that's what I really love about Emerson. Because Emerson really urges us to do that. Our, our founder, Dr. Ernest Holmes, when he, uh, he grew up, he was the youngest son of nine sons in his family. So they could have gone into baseball, but no, they didn't. <clears throat> they went more into a spiritual type of direction. But, you know, he only had like an eighth grade education, never finished high school or anything like that. He was self-taught, but he had such a thirst for truth and the, and the truth and the power that lived in all of the religions. And that's the foundation that we stand on. And when he first left home and went to visit one of his brother's houses, he, he found Emerson's essays on one of the bookshelves there. And he just kept reading these essays over and over. Spiritual laws, nature, these incredible essays by Emerson about the power that lives within us. And he said, finally he realized, he's talking about me. So I would say today, he's talking about us. Emerson is talking about us, all of us. This grandeur, this power that he speaks of that is alive in us. We can have that if we get ourselves out of the path of the divine circuits. I want to read you something here from Spiritual Laws. A little consideration of what takes place around us every day would show us that a higher law than that of our will regulates events. That our painful labors are unnecessary and fruitless. That only in our easy, simple, spontaneous action are we strong. And by contenting ourselves with obedience, we become divine. Belief and love. A believing love will relieve us of a vast load of care. Oh, my brothers and sisters, God exists. There is a soul at the center of nature and over the will of every person so that none of us can wrong the universe. Those are big ideas, but those are ideas about us. And we find ourselves in the situations that we're in now. Sometimes we can look around and see, God, things are just so bad. Things are so bad. There's a larger story unfolding around us. And the concept that God has work for us to do is a big one. In my Science of Mind class, that I've been teaching the first week, I said, how many of you, when I just use the word God, it kind of makes you tense up? You got a charge on that word. About half the hands in the room went up. So one of the things I, I said is, we got to see what words, what ideas, what concepts keep us from getting to a life with spirit. And a lot of us have images of God from when we grew up. God's angry. God's up in the clouds. God looks like Charlton Heston. God is watching us all the time. Who wants to have a relationship? You know, I'm not going to be qualified. And we've got to let go of that idea. We've got to get that idea out of the path of the divine circuits. We've got to come up with a, a name for God that works for us. The ancient Hebrews, when they started writing things down, they didn't have a word for God. They just jammed four consonants together that they couldn't pronounce because they knew it's too big for us. There's no, we can't 
put God into a word because it's too big. We're limiting it. But we come to that. But the name for God is different in all different languages. So get a word that works for you. But if you're still struggling with that word, deal with it. Deal with it. And get it out of the divine circuits. You know, Ernest Holmes, when he was talking about it, he said, uh, and this is one of the lines that's been around here for so long, there is a power in the universe greater than we are, and we can use it. There's a power in the universe greater than we are, then we can use it. We don't have to name it. We don't have to say what it is. We just need to know that it's there. Don't we know that it's there? Let's keep away from the idea that we've got to name it or limit it or measure it or that it only applies in one place. It's everywhere. It's alive in all religions. It's alive in the best of us. So let's get the divine circuits opened up and allow that power and that gift that's available to us to move through us. And I think another thing we need to do is to love who we are, just the way that we are right now. You know, we live in a time of comparison. Since the invention of the cell phone, and I know you have them, and thank you for turning them off, uh, everybody's got a camera too, right? So we can look at what everybody else is doing. So we can check and see, God, I'd, I'd be doing a lot better if I had some of that, what they have, or... Man, they look so happy where they are. I wish I was where they are. Or I wish I was eating some of the... There's God calling now. <clears throat> I should probably take that. But, uh, you know, if I was eating what they're eating, I'd be happier. But we got so much comparison going on. And it keeps us from being in the moment that we're in and loving what is. And we need to be aware of that. And we need to not be trapped in that, into thinking that things would be better if I was someplace else. It's unfolding exactly as it should be, right where I am. And it's only when we bring ourselves to this present moment, give ourselves the opportunity to connect with that spirit that's within us. And to tune into what God has in mind. What does God have in mind for us when we develop that God-listening heart and we also fall in love with who we are by loving ourselves the way God loves us? Not from a psychological perspective, from a spiritual perspective. Because sometimes we think the only way that we can be lovable, the only way we could bring love into our lives is if we act like somebody other than ourselves. That's not the truth. That's not what is. One of the great writers who we've had here several times at Mile High Church, John Bradshaw, did so much writing about the family and the shame that lives in the family and the stories that we come forward and how they move into addictions. He talks about what he he called the mystified self, that feeling of being disconnected and unlovable. He said this, The mystified self is born out of our belief that we are only lovable when we are not being ourselves. This creates feelings that are frozen, that continue expressed through all of our relationships until they have been embraced by us and integrated. It also creates confusion, pain, addiction, and relationships that are not based in the truth of spirit. 
So getting aligned with the fact that we were created individually to be ourselves, to be exactly who we are. Not only are all the other jobs taken, nobody else is qualified for this job. We've got to do it. And the only way that we can do it is if we open up to the ideas that God has in mind for us and to know that we're loved just the way that we are. Just the way that we are, we're loved. It's a leap, depending on the way that you grew up, the messages that you got early on about worthiness, the mistakes that may have happened in your life, the things that you're not proud of, the things that have happened to you. But now it's our thoughts about those things that keep us trapped. Not those things, those thoughts. So we need to have the courage to look at those and go, are those thoughts true and who would I be without them? And probably the most important thought we want to let go of is that for some reason, for any reason, that we're not lovable. I want to give you a quote here from Henri Nguyen, who was a Dutch Catholic priest, great writer, wrote a lot about uh, divine love. He said, our deepest truth must be that we are God's beloved. What reserve do we have to love to give out of ourselves if we do not know that we are deeply and intimately loved? We can desire to become the beloved when we already know that we are the beloved. That's what I want us all to know this morning. We can love what is right now and we can love who we are right now and move through life towards that. It's unfolding exactly as it should be. And I want to finish up here by uh, doing a song for you with Tom. And this, um, <clears throat> this is a David Wilcox song. It's interesting because uh, I bet there's some David Wilcox song fans in the audience here. Tom and I are both huge David Wilcox song fans. And uh, Tom was trying for like six years to get... Uh, David to come here and sing Uh, but he could never get it booked he'd come and play at the Little Bear play concerts and we could just never get him to come here Uh, and then finally a couple years ago his manager called and said uh, yeah David can come sing on a Sunday morning and uh, it's about four months down the road and Tom brought it into a um, services meeting told everybody looked at my calendar and it was the one time when I was going to be speaking on a Sunday morning Everything happens exactly as it should. Neither too soon nor too late. Now when the paint jar tipped off of the table, you watched as it started to fall. Glass popped, shattered and splattered, paint spray hit the wall. A bright blue glossy enamel Across the kitchen floor You said Good God Look at that pattern I've never seen that before Leave it like it is Never mind the turpentine Just leave it like it is It's fine
Now when the paint dried, you gave it a title, you called it Kitchen Blue. A white frame painted around it, and gallery lighting too. Rich folks come over for dinner, they all want one of their own. They say, how much? Who's the artist? My, what a beautiful home. Leave it like it is. Never mind the turpentine. Just leave it like it is. It's fine. Now most folks suffer in sorrow Thinking they're just no good They don't match the magazine model As close as they think they should They live just like the paint by numbers The teacher would be impressed A lifetime of following lines So it's just like all the rest it like it is Never mind the turpentine Just leave it like it is It's fine Thank you for listening to the Mile High Church Podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. If you'd like to make a donation, text 720 230 1404 or visit us at milehighchurch.org.